break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 14th of September, 2021. Very happy to be back with you on the show and plenty for you here on the show. We're going to be talking about how poverty was decreasing in 2020. Yes, that's right. Poverty decreasing in 2020, if you can believe it or not. We're going to be talking about spying going on by the LAPD, perhaps on you. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to talk about the impact of monopolies on prices of food. Well, one major issue for most people that buy things on a regular basis, so pretty much all of us who are not rich, is inflation. I mean, without a doubt, almost everything seems to be getting more expensive these days. There are a range of issues around inflation, but one important question is, what role does monopoly play in all of this? Is some of this inflation actually resulting from monopolies abusing their control over markets to drive up prices and benefit themselves? Well, one of the areas where this debate has been playing out recently is in the meat market, the meat packing and processing industry, to be exact. It's one of the most concentrated industries in the country and, of course, one of the most essential given the role that food plays. And somewhat quietly last week, the White House released a lengthy memo accusing the meatpacking industry of driving up the price of pork, beef and chicken. And notably, earlier this year, Pilgrim's Pride pled guilty to a price fixing scandal concerning chicken products. Last December, actually, Chick-fil-A accused a number of companies of doing the exact same thing, of benefiting and colluding in order to drive up the price of chicken. Although also over the last year or so, a few government efforts to hold meatpackers legally responsible ultimately have fizzled. And the industry itself has tried to blame increasing consumer demand, although the facts seem to belie that. Since December 2020, prices for beef have risen by 14% pork by 12.1% and poultry by 6.6%. However, according to industry lobbyists at the National Chicken Council, consumption of chicken and beef will only increase two-tenths of a percent between 2020 and 2021, and pork consumption will actually fall by 1.2%. So this, of course, then raises the issue of monopoly yet again. The way it works is this. There are so few companies sitting at a critical juncture And the people who are raising the meat are selling an unfinished product, so to speak, so they need someone who can finish it to buy it. And then the restaurants are selling a finished product that they themselves don't make. So who takes it from one form to the next? Of course, the meatpacking and processing industry. So if you have just a handful of firms controlling all of that business, they can easily use that position to demand the people selling them the meat accept lower prices, because who else are you going to sell to, and that those buying from them accept higher prices, because who else are you going to buy it from? There is no doubt that the meat industry is highly concentrated. According to data from the United States Department of Agriculture, anywhere from 55 to 85 percent of the market for beef, pork and chicken is controlled by just four companies. In 1977, the top four beef companies controlled 25 percent of the market. 
Now it's 82%. In poultry, the top four controlled 35% in 1977 and control 54% today. And in pork, those numbers are 33% and 66% respectively. So you get a scale of the consolidation that's been happening. It's also undeniable the profits are increasing along with concentration. In 2012, meat processors were seeing average profits of around 6%. In 2021, it should end up being about closer to 18%. Pretty nice jump. Now, part of the reason it can be hard to prove these connections between concentration and prices, even though I know that seems pretty obvious now that I've laid it out for you, is that, well, you can't always find a smoking gun of collusion between big companies, some secret meeting where they said, we're all going to keep the prices the same. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that it isn't happening, but there's one important concept that's well known in business literature that's very important to this, and it's called price leadership. Now, price leadership is a common business practice with large corporations, and it's when a leading firm in a market with few other firms is able to set a price that then all of the other firms follow. And it works because even though, let's say, A, a given firm could cut prices and take losses to try to gain market share uh, on the other companies, that, in fact, may not work. And, of course, it may just encourage price competition, which drives the prices down and ultimately means lower profits for everyone. So there is a lot of value in working the other way. You look around, you see who has the highest prices, you match them, and then you divide up the higher profits among these few firms. You can up your profitability without even having to gain market share. And you don't really have to illegally collude, although, of course, you can. You really just have to be looking around at what's happening and measuring what other companies are doing. So this is certainly something to keep in mind as we see prices increasing across the economy. That some of it is not just some sort of economic mumbo jumbo that you can't understand about why inflation is happening, but that almost certainly many large monopolies are taking advantage of the expectation of rising prices to use their monopoly position to make more profits without looking like they are price gouging you, which they are. A new report from the Brennan Center for Justice examining public documents from the Los Angeles Police Department details that, quote, the Los Angeles Police Department authorizes its officers to engage in extensive surveillance of social media without internal monitoring of the nature or effectiveness of the searches. And beginning this year, the department is adding a new social media surveillance tool, Media Sonar, which can build detailed profiles on individuals and identify links between them. So, yes, the LAPD is operating a large-scale spying effort on social media with few rules and little oversight. As the Brennan Center notes, quote, The department allows officers to create a fictitious online persona and use the persona for numerous purposes. Those purposes you may be interested to know include identifying and examining trends and tactics, developing profiles, or conducting research. That's fairly clear how that sort of fictitious online persona, quote-unquote, can be used not just to spy, but manipulate and still be more or less within the quote-unquote rules. For instance, posting something to incite a response, but claiming you just wanted to examine the trend of the responses or do research on the respondents. The Brennan Center report further noted, quote, few limitations offset this broad authority. Officers need not document the searches they conduct, their purpose, or the justification. They are not required to seek supervisory approval, and the guide offers no standards for the types of cases that warrant social media surveillance. While officers are instructed not to conduct social media surveillance for personal, illicit, or illegal purposes, they seem otherwise to have complete discretion over whom to surveil, how broadly to track their online activity, and how long to monitor them. And the LAPD files also encourage something they call, quote-unquote, social media listening to, quote, discover what is being said online. 
And as the Brennan Center notes, quote, the policy also imposes no limits upon this continuous monitoring and does not require oversight to determine whether it is being deployed inappropriately or discriminatorily. Hmm. The LAPD also responded directly to the Brennan Center saying, quote, that they do not track what, if anything, their employees monitor on social media sites and they have not conducted any audits regarding the use of social media. So while the level of potential abuse there is clear, it goes up one level when one considers, as we noted above, that the LAPD is planning to deploy media sonar, which advertises itself as a product for developing, quote, a full digital snapshot of an individual's online presence, including all related persons and connections. And that also the LAPD is encouraging officers to ask for social media information during interactions they have while on patrol, regardless of what they are about. So ultimately, you can see the LAPD is trying to create a massive database of people that they can mine and monitor based on whatever hunches, suspicions and biases its officers have at any given moment. Pretty ominous. That's for sure. Well, if you ever needed a statement about the depth of poverty in the United States, consider this fact. In 2020, poverty decreased in the United States. Yes, that's right. As the New York Times notes, quote, 9.1% of Americans were poor last year, down from 11.8% in 2019. Now, there are a range of points to make here about how all the official measures of poverty undercount the phenomenon. But just the fact that the basic measure of poverty can drop during the worst economic contraction in history, or at least just about, is in and of itself pretty telling. It absolutely reflects how poorly the so-called labor market is at providing people with a decent standard of living and how inadequate most anti-poverty programs really are. And this, of course, is brought further into relief when you consider the obvious point here, which is that the reason that the indicators for poverty declined, or at least this one, was because of the survival checks, the expansion of unemployment benefits, the expansion of food stamps, and also more generous tax credits for working people, especially people with children. In other words, poverty is a policy choice. It isn't that it's rocket science in terms of how to cut poverty. It's that the political will to do so in any substantive way isn't really there, which in the richest country on earth is quite a statement about the moral priorities of capitalism. Something on full display in Washington this week as big businesses and wealthy individuals mount a major campaign against paying one cent more in taxes to continue and expand many of the programs that reduced poverty during the pandemic. U.S. capitalism, where a majority of politicians seem willing to literally take food out of babies' mouths to make sure the huge fortunes piled up by billionaires remain untouched. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 